1: Greetings, Kiwis, Norte Americanos, and other citizens of the globe, and welcome to Polidics, a podcast where a genial and overemployed New Zealand comic and an irascible and very underemployed American journalist just sort of talk about things to cope with the pain of living in Trump world. Unfortunately, my co-host, your good friend, and mine, Tim Batt, has been carried away by a whirlwind of activity. Most of you know he not only tours for live shows and does this podcast, but he also co-hosts the Worst Idea of All Time podcast with Guy Montgomery. But on top of all that, he runs the Little Empire Podcast Network, and and that's honestly just a ton for anybody to have on one plate. I'm going to do my best to uh, try to pick up the slack here, and I'll need a little help. So joining us this week is my former boss and freelance writer and contributing editor for Opinion at U.S. News and World Report, Megan Carpentier. Megan, thank you for bailing us out and being here.
0: Well, thanks for having me.
1: Ah, uh, so you—you you pro- like you're not going to berate me on the audio like you used to do during staff meetings and and uh, text and like Google Chat. We—I
0: never berated you. I just suggested you could be less stupid.
1: <laughs> All right, so I, I'm going to need you to act like a check on that for me uh, because I, Tim usually is, is the even keeled and amiable one who's like Jeb. You know, dial it back a little. So. I figured since, you know, since Tim isn't here and and we're both part of the same sort of uh, incestual or circle jerky uh, media crew, we could start by talking about there was a a very good piece today by your good friend and my good friend, Jim Newell in Slate about how uh, Trump essentially fucked himself uh, in the first 100 days. And I mean, I have like ample thoughts about this. Did you did you read it? Was was that something you agreed with or am I just hitting you with something entirely new?
0: I mean, I, I seem to usually pay Russian hookers to do that. But, you know, sure. I mean, I guess giving it to Paul Ryan makes more sense.
1: OK, so um, for people who haven't seen it, basically Jim's contention was that uh, and I, I agree with it. and I thought it was just really well stated That uh, Trump, because he had no real ideological commitment to the Republican Party, had way more latitude to get into office and immediately compromise the Democratic Party by compromising with them and offering them ways to cooperate with the Trump presidency and delegitimize the growing sense of we must resist. And instead. Uh, As as Jim sort of lays out what he did, Trump did was he said, all right, Paul Ryan, your legislative agenda is my legislative agenda. And he wedded himself to uh, kind of like Republican orthodoxy in a way that held no appeal really for Democrats and made their job a lot easier when their base came to them and said, we don't want you to cooperate. We want you to resist. And there was nothing for them to really cooperate with
0: right. I actually think Jim has it right to a certain degree, but I don't think it's because Trump um, doesn't hew to the Republican ideology as much as he doesn't view the Republicans as his team. His team is Team Trump. And so to play on Team Trump, he has to get what he wants. And I think he just didn't care about the Democrats because they were the losers. Because, you know, if you lose a real estate deal, you lose, you know, you lose a, I don't know, football game or whatever he played at his military school, you lose. Um, the thing is, is there's lots of ways in Washington to win by losing, as the Democrats have amply demonstrated. And the health care agenda is one of them. You know, once people started to realize that the Obamacare that they hated was the Affordable Care Act they actually sort of benefited from, um, which was something that the Republicans could allow not to happen when they were just saying no, but had no power. You know, the things really started to shift. It wasn't just Democratic voters that were for the Affordable Care Act. It was Republican voters and Trump voters and and people in Kentucky who, who had one of the lowest insurance rates in the country before Obamacare. And now, because they had a Democratic governor, because they had access to the Medicaid expansion. Now, there's a lot more people insured in the state of Kentucky who realize that while it's imperfect, it's better than being uninsured, as most people know if you've ever been uninsured and had to pay for something out of pocket.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I liked what you said about uh, like the, the point of Team Trump because this, this is the thing that I was scared about during the general election was i thought he was going to win the nomination and then turn right around and tack hard to the center and go back to being kind of new york plutocrat trump who thinks universal health care is pretty good and you know would have just enough apostasy that he could yank clinton voters away and instead he went hard right even more seemingly and and repeating what he'd already said and then he won anyway and at that moment You know if if you are a megalomaniac who might have been on the cusp of being less megalomaniacal the fact that you just won and defeated all these odds or overcame all these odds would only reinforce the you know your commitment to just doing exactly what you want to do uh but like that was i it still seems to be like that sort of damocles like at any minute he could just kind of go like yeah fuck the republican party i want to get this thing done
0: Yeah, I think he got that thing done that he wanted to get done, which was winning. He's now won. The difficulty is once you win, you have to govern. Um, and how do you govern? Uh, you have to compromise, you have to have an agenda. That agenda has to be something you can put into law, which is you know, much more complicated than a real estate deal that you can turn over to some lawyer to write once you've settled on the outlines of it. I mean, this is his thing is he comes in to these you know, complex policy debates with, which, with people who have been doing this on the Hill for years and years and like, here's my plan and like his, you know, his, plan, his tax reform plan which is something that Washington has been focused on for, you know, 15 years. And you've had Bill Thomas and Charlie Rangel and Kevin Brady and all these people try to fix it. Um, But, you know, he's going to come in with a two-page, like, Thing of talking points, like no one's ever thought of that in Washington before, and like that's going to be his tax reform plan, and you know now go figure out the details, buddy. Like that's you know, that's not how legislation works. It's not how Washington works. You know, I mean, if that's if that's how it worked, Tom Donny would be the most powerful man in Washington because that the head of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce can walk in with a two-point, you know, two-page bullet-pointed thing on every issue he wants solved, but. That isn't how it
1: works. What, was it actually two pages? Because I remember the quote I read was that was almost like 200 or 400 words total. I mean, it was it was like a third <laughs> of a column. And then and, and, and like what was even more amazing is that it's it's regressed, but it's like it's actually regressed in terms of sophistication from his the tax plan he unveiled on the trail. Like which was, you know, if you go and look at like his old campaign website, what he was actually saying a year ago was more detailed and more, I don't know, intellectually credible. I mean, mathematically it isn't, but like there was like at least the kind of glimmer of effort somewhere on the document in its original form. And then when he actually has the means to accomplish something, it was kind of like, well, fuck it. We'll bar napkin it.
0: Right. Well, that's how you got the Laffer curve in the first place. You don't know that story, which is what he's basing his whole plan on is, 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 the idea that if you just cut taxes, revenue will just magically appear um, and people will just automatically make more money and, you know, you you won't have to account for the loss of tax revenue in the budget in any way, which, you know, even Laffer thought that there was a point past which tax cuts would not have that effect. Um, and there's some evidence that, you know, in the Bush years, we actually kind of got there. Um You know, what with it ending with a recession and all.
1: Well, Um, And and well, like Laffer Laffer was arguing against like, you know, quote unquote, like confiscatory, like 75 percent taxation. And like, I think it's really about like 45 percent. You can only reduce it so much before you get that diminishing return. But I mean, like his main objection was
0: very few people pay 45 percent. You know, I mean, that's the thing. You know, we talk about these tax rates as though that's valid. But those are those are the rates. Those aren't the actual actionable rates that people are paying.
1: Yeah, like if you're a rich person and you were actually paying that number, you would have to have like some kind of claw hammer in the brain to just kinda of like, Oh, that number, <laughs> yeah. okay, I'll apply that to well, here you go. Like you would you would have to be the sort of person who's like, Hey, Paul Ryan's we can do our we can do all our taxes on a postcard. That's gonna work out for me. <laughs>
0: Well, right. I mean, that's the thing. You can do all your taxes in your postcard unless you have, say, a kid and a mortgage and property taxes and medical expenses and all of these things that people take for granted. And this is the thing that I think Republicans have really taken for granted with tax reform for a long time is people like discounts. You know, this is Macy's whole structure. You know, you go into Macy's with your 20% off coupon, and this has happened to my mother. They used to just raise the prices 20% on coupon day. It used to drive my mother ape shit. Let me tell you, she still tells the story from 20 years ago when that happened to her. But, you know, people will like Macy's found and they tried. They tried to lower prices and just say, "Okay, we're always just going to charge you $30, which would be kind of one of our sale prices on this like series of items. And no one would buy them because the coupons weren't valid and there wasn't a sale, even if it was less than they would have paid on the sale, because people just like that discount thing. People like that on their taxes. You know, you could take less money out of every pay, everybody's paycheck every week. Or every other week, or every month, or whenever they get paid, to lower their their effect their tax rate, but and even lower their effective tax rate. But at the end of the year, if they didn't get their refund back because they don't have any credits and deductions, people would be mad about it. And Republicans kind of know that. Trump, I don't think knows that because he doesn't. You know, he doesn't pay taxes like normal people, and never has. Mm-hmm.
1: So, like just a couple hours before this, the uh, the you know American Healthcare Act, the acha or whatever, uh, died again. Uh, because they had something like 20 uh, Republicans who weren't going to commit, or 15 who most definitely were not going to vote for it. They could only lose 20, but then they had an additional 20 to 25 that were on the fence and leaning no. So that was going to be his capstone to the 100 days. And so instead of kind of like having a, a, a grand finale on the 100th day, it's another goose egg. Um, did you see this one coming? or like, and And can he go back? Can they can they try and take a third bite at this apple, or do they have to figure out a way to sort of, like, suddenly... I
0: mean, legislatively, they can. Yeah. So, legislatively, they can take a third bite at this apple because it wasn't actually defeated on the House floor. They Paul Ryan pulled it, which gives him, as Speaker, the ability to bring it back and put it back on the agenda. I mean, they have they have to at some point do something, right? I mean, they, they can't have promised this for years and have to go into the 2018 election saying, you know, we, we never agreed amongst ourselves because we were just all kind of bullshitting you about it because we wanted to defeat Obama. But that's, I mean, that's effectively what it is. And, you know, there there's... They're, they're going to have to take away health care from people. They're going to have to charge women more for maternity care. But women are more than half of the electorate, you know, which some you know people on the Hill, I think, like to forget. So you can't start charging women more for health insurance because they can get pregnant again and expect women, you know, in Iowa not to notice. And you can't expect, you know, people with breast cancer in Nebraska not to notice that their, you know, premiums went up you know, $60,000. Or if you get tested, and you have one of the breast cancer genes, you know, these are some sort of fundamental issues to a lot of people that they're just sort of the, you know, Freedom Caucus is running ideological roughshod over. And it's never going to get past the Senate. And you're going to keep peeling, you know, whichever way you go at this point, you're going to keep peeling people off. And quite frankly, like, you can find some CEOs that in private, like, admit they'd sort of maybe wouldn't mind universal health care because then they don't have to pay for it really. And they figure if everyone's paying for it in taxes, they'll actually end up paying a little bit less in taxes than they would for actually just buying their employees health insurance. You know, there's, there's no, the only constituency for getting rid of it now is people that, I either are ideologically opposed to having to force Americans to buy health insurance for whatever reason and this sort of political imperative that they themselves created.
1: Just, I, I kind of want to roll it back for a second. So just for our, like our, our, our fans who are listening who are primarily Tim fans and are not from the US, one of the things you mentioned about like maternity care. So one of the ways that they're trying to cut money is to say like, well, you can give insurance to people, but we're going to leave out let's say these 10 or, or 15 basics of care. And so one of the ones is that you can have health insurance and let's, you know, you're a woman with health insurance, but it doesn't cover giving birth. So
0: Or you, prenatal care of any kind. Like if you get pregnant, honey, you want your own.
1: Yeah, and so, like, it, what what normally, like, what in, in every other sort of OECD nation is a really basic thing, you get pregnant, and then you go into a doctor, and then that doctor stays with you for nine months, and the baby comes out, becomes this, like, I don't know, $100,000 bill. I, have no, I I remember looking at the, the the bill for my son and just sort of blanching and putting it away because I knew that we were fortunate enough to have insurance that covered it, but, I mean, just, you know, an overnight stay in the hospital, which a mom needs... That's not going to happen. And what are you going to do? You're going to sort of like give birth, and you know, like out in the alley, or or like wherever you happen to be, and just go. Like, I hope I can make it home, and I don't bleed out.
0: I mean, you think about it. Every sonogram is or $500. So if you have one a month just to make sure the baby's not dead, you know, amniocentesis will cost you a couple hundred dollars. You know, every time you go to the doctor's office, that's two $300. If you get gestational
1: uh, and diabetes, diabetes and you suddenly right. have to take insulin or something akin to that, that's going to, uh, yeah.
0: I mean, you have to have, you know, a C-section or else die, you know, are you going to, like, I mean, you're not going to say, no, I don't have $30,000 to spend on that, but you'll be bankrupt, like, before your child's done breastfeeding. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, these these things are expensive. And, and to a certain degree, you know, people don't plan well. You you We don't tend to plan for contingencies. I don't think that's just an American thing, but I think it's definitely an American thing, sort of, like, blown up. And when it comes to health insurance, I mean, look, if you'd have told me at 22 that I didn't have to pay 200 extra dollars a month as long as I declined maternity coverage. I had to decline maternity coverage. Would I have remembered that when I was having sex? Eh, you know, that probably wouldn't have been top of mind for me. I mean, you know, the there next were morning, other reasons sure. I might have chosen to have safe sex. You know, I don't even sure the next morning, depending on how good the night was. But, you know, <laughs> those, those are not things that you're going to think about at certain ages. And yet, you know, for the party that wants to say, uh... Encourage women to have babies instead of abortions. You know, a little silly to kind of make that economic choice that a lot of American women already have to make about whether or not they can afford to carry a child to term and and bring, you know, and then raise a child to adulthood. To make that an even starker economic choice in this day and age is 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 this, you know while taking away women's access to um, maternity care. You know, it's a hard, it's a hard decision. You know, and so much of this is just driven by. This ideology that's divorced from practicality, you know, and I think was one of the
1: I, I, I don't know about that. I mean, it's very practical if you believe that women should be inherently subservient to men and you're paying them less per hour than you pay a man for the exact same job. And then you say you, know, you make maternity care a bankruptable if you make ha- being pregnant a bankruptable offense, then they're going to be very dependent on a man. Like they're going to need that extra revenue. They're going to they're going to need somebody to support them so that they can have a house. You you're, you're not going to have as many single moms if it's a bankrupting act. I mean, there there's a remarkable consistency in how uh, you know how sex can be punished if you're not a penis American. Like I don't know. I do kind That's of mind like I, I kind of admire like the holistic contempt for women there. Like I mean, there really is no stone left unturned in making women's lives shittier. Like in that group. So I don't know. Like
0: Well, I think I think though in in a certain way I I agree with that. I think there is sort of a contempt for women and a contempt for women's place in the larger society outside of the home and, and the biological imperatives that women are sort of saddled with in a way that men are not. But I also think it just, you know, ideologically it, it's not consistent. It is just these ideas that they're getting from, you know, think tanks and economics books that they haven't really understood, quite frankly, and without any practical application to the world. And I think if you look at the 2016 election, you know, the sort of practical ideas sort of came from Hillary Clinton, who wasn't popular amongst liberals for being too practical. And then you have the sort of uh, completely impractical ideas of Donald Trump, like a wall across the whole border, like deporting 11 million, you know, Latinos in this country, like, you know, all of these things that he said he was going to do and said he would do in the first 100 days, which has turned out to be absolutely impossible for him. You know, all of this was was just these grandiose schemes that were not practical in any way. And I think you're just sort of seeing the rubber hits where the rubber hits the road of ideology versus practicality those are hard things to square because so much i think of republican ideology that's based in in sort of capitalist economic theory isn't is really based on a lot of like misunderstandings and deliberate illusions like market failure you know market failure is kind of like a 101 kind of economic concept and so far as i learned it and i'm not saying that i didn't learn it at you know universities which i guess are all too liberal with, with the teaching but you know these are some basic things. You know, Ayn Rand was not like an economist per se, but you have a lot of people that just sort of believe her philosophy as opposed to actual numbers.
1: Yeah, and, and she was still, like she was taking Social Security and Medicare when she died too, right? So,
0: like, fucking <laughs> well, hypocrite. I mean, yeah, yeah. hypocrisy is, is another kind of interesting philosophy, but that one has a pretty good toehold in Washington, I think.
1: Well, I mean, like, <laughs> like i just I, I thought of something and i went no i can go nowhere with that um we've gone on for a bit and we should take a break so i just want to leave like i want to leave everybody with two thoughts one i ran was buried like at her funeral there was like a six foot uh uh um like floral arrangement shaped like a dollar sign uh and and two or b i don't know if i started with a or one i've forgotten it's been a while um Trump promised all of these things on day one. So really, like the last 99 days have been us kind of waiting around for an epilogue that was just going to be as disappointing as, uh, you know, the introduction. Okay, and we're back. And Mega Nerd Prom is coming up. Are you psyched for Nerd Prom?
0: Woo! I, you know, I went to three proms. I'm pretty chill about it. So, you know, uh, okay, so, it's every you know it's every year.
1: So Sorry, people, is the people so, the
0: least nerdy thing I've ever said in my life?
1: <laughs> no, congrats on three proms. I didn't go to mine, but I went to I went to like the next. I went Like I had a friend who was a senior When I was in like community college And she was like can you please come with me And I broke my, my not going to prom streak uh, And I really yeah, I kind of feel actually... like that mars my record I could have just been like no I rejected it But anyway nerd prom uh, for, for people who are not uh, From the United States is the White House Correspondence dinner and it's held every year And you may remember uh, Stephen Colbert roasting George uh, W. Bush 20 feet away from him and and making him sort of just force feeding him crow for about uh, 20 minutes. Um, And and then of course, Seth Meyers. And then
0: next year they had to have Rich Little. It was so bad.
1: Yeah. Rich Little, who, you know, is, does a really good Nixon and Reagan impression. If you're 60,
0: (laughs) old uh and then uh, so uh, seth probably more like 80 at this point
1: yeah yeah i met rich little he didn't like me it's a long story we don't need to get to it here uh so nerd prom that <laughs> seth myers did it in i think 2011 or um uh or 2013 it's been a while uh when obama was president and he needled donald trump and supposedly that might have been the thing that Pushed Donald Trump over the edge and made him run. And like, maybe it was a McKay Coppins article. And there's always like some sort of weird urban legend about what made him do it. But that was really the last interesting one. Uh, and then this year,
0: no, Larry Wilmore, Larry Wilmore.
1: Okay. That's right. I do remember that a little bit of uh...
0: I mean, I can't say what he said, but he said it was very funny.
1: Yes. Yes. He's he, he used a racial term. <laughs> you'll, just
0: have to, you'll just have to look it up on the internet. You can do that while listening to a podcast. Just take our word for it; it was very funny.
1: Yeah, if you don't do it, if you're driving, uh, you just, like pull over to the yeah, shoulder, yeah, or just yank the wheel yeah. into the median. That's fine. I mean, if it's a grassy median, <laughs> um, so there's
0: our, not a lot of mediums in places. Sometimes don't just just pull over. Do it when you get to the office.
1: So you you and I covered one. We weren't there. We got saddled with live blogging one. Um, which one was that? Yes. Was it anyone good?
0: Actually. T- technically you volunteered and then I got saddled because I had all of the like logins and crap that was um 2015 yeah Yeah. I got saddled with it two years in a row because they liked it so much when I did it the first year which was like deeply demoralizing and and disheartening that they made me do it again a second year which was last year and so basically I just just like here's a pretty dress and also here's something going on in the world that really matters it was like six hours of that
1: Right. So by now there's there's like a brunch, you know, you go to, uh, you know, some sort of DC mover and shaker type. And I think uh, Ariana Huffington has some sort of, you know, uh, some sort of morning or mid afternoon spa where you can go and smell boxed air or something. And and then there's this, you know, gala where people sit at round tables and it's it's mixes of, of media and politicians and then random celebrities who get invited. And there's a comedian and uh, doing uh, you know, his bit, and then the president and his speech writers uh, have him do his bit. And then Trump is bailing on it this year. But I think y- you said you were doing some sort of coverage for it. What, what are you doing?
0: Well, so normally, there's actually like a whole week of parties that are sponsored by like lobbyists and corporations, and they invite the media and they invite all the politicians. And it's like, it ends up being like, 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 sort of, it ends up being like you grew up in sort of a contiguous area with a bunch of high schools and you're really popular, so you have to go to everyone's prom. Uh, it's sort of like that, but with people that still think that's cool when they're in their 50s.
2: Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus
0: Um, But this year, Trump said in February that he was not going, his entire staff is, and this is a direct quote, standing in solidarity with the president, um, because the media has been so mean to him, so mean that they're not going either and so and then of course there's people in the media who absolutely hate Donald Trump so the New Yorker canceled their party Vanity Fair which is led by which the editor of which is Graydon Carter who said who was the one that coined short finger um, bailed on their big party Bloomberg ended their party Time magazine ended their party People magazine ended their party so all of the big parties that are like must-have tickets are totally not happening Um, You know, the Washington Post is reporting this week that almost no celebrities are coming. So there will be no Kardashians in attendance this year. Um, And I I think it's funny that the sort of our celebrity president who was raised on reality TV, who himself has attended multiple times. He was there in 1993 at Graydon Carter's table for Vanity Fair um, when Graydon Carter had to move the um, model that he'd invited and sat next to Donald Trump because the model came to him crying and complained about how vulgar he was. And that was sort of that that sealed the deal for Graydon Carter on Donald Trump. Actually, was the White House Correspondents' Dinner and what a nasty, brutish person he was. Um, little random facts. So, was it, was year, was, the, was his
1: rudeness he, verbal or was it let's say like handsy? I. I
0: um. The, the article that I read by Graydon Carter was not specific. It seems that he felt it necessary to comment on the tits of every woman in the room and give when there's like, you know, thousands of women in the room, there's a lot of tits to comment on. So she probably just listened to 30 minutes of him talking about boobs and was like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm trying to eat. <laughs> I mean, I could listen to 30 minutes of me talk about boobs, but I'm much more fun about it. I'm just not like, look at the tits on that one there. Look at the tits on that one over there. Like, you know, everyone's formal where there's a lot of boobs in the room. That's how it works.
1: I feel like, and this this is maybe this is just me. Like Trump seems like one of those guys who has like fifty or sixty different uh, synonyms for boobs. That like most men lose. Like if if there are fifty, most men lose like forty five of them by the time they can drive a car. But like he's still there, going like, yeah, look at them cassabas. I love those yabos. Like look, you know, look at them. Uh, I don't know, like milk something. I, like. <laughs> Milk jugs like bigly yeah
0: bigly bigly i I, I believe that bigly. Uh, I mean he's you know he's the he's he's from Queens and I live in Queens and I can tell you like uh, I there are certain ways you have to dress or walk in Queens. I actually bought a special hat where I get you know fucked with definitely like sixty three percent less even when I'm wearing something low cut just because I have a Greek hat on that they don't think they can talk about me that way. So like I, you know. But <laughs> what? before that, there were a lot of different words that were flung in my direction in several languages that I didn't learn, but I know the words for tits in a lot of languages now.
1: What, what a Greek hat, like how does that ward off boob ogling or cat calling? Like what is it?
0: i didn't say it warned off ogling it okay. warned off it warns off comments
1: okay but like what is it
0: ogling, I, you what know,
1: properties does a the hat have moms, that you know of, how, how does the hat silence others i don't know, just
0: well because i lived in a very greek neighborhood so if i look like a greek lady there's certain things you don't want to do because uh she'll come at like she'll say some other rude things to you um that'll be much ruder um, but like, you know, if I just look like average, you know, sort of Irish American girl, they're they're figuring I won't be nearly as mean. But if I'm wearing a Greek hat, they assume not a lot of Irish American girls have Greek hats.
1: Okay. So it's like your big It's fat- a
0: complicated it's a complicated way that you have to move through the world as a woman, Jeb. Let's just leave it there.
1: I well no, I understand that there's certain like behaviors that you wind up like involuntarily having to to adopt to to cope with um like men voluntarily being yeah, asinine. But like, I was just wondering about the properties of like your the sort of like Greek haberdashery and whether that warded things. But anyway, um, so yeah, so you're you're going down there. Are you covering it in in some way? Are you like forced to go to like these ghostly parties and at, like the way people visit like dead malls for for uh, like Urbex?
0: Thankfully, no. Um, actually, so. Before um, Donald Trump announced that he was not doing his first White House Correspondents Dinner, the comedian Samantha Bee announced that she was going to host a not-the-White House Correspondents Dinner just before it, um, a special edition of her show called Full Frontal with Samantha Bee, Uh, and that has actually turned into the celebrity must-have ticket in town uh, for the weekend, and so I am actually going down to cover that. I think Key and Peel are going to be there. There's going to be a whole host of comedians. That's kind of where the celebrities that are in town are apparently planning on going. Um, they're going to highlight the work of small town newspapers uh, and nice. news gatherers of various varieties. Yeah. And all of the money that they're raising um, from ticket sales and from donations, they're giving to the committee to protect journalists. Nice. Which helps um, advocate for journalists both that, that fear for their lives and livelihoods. So... I mean, it's a great, you know, it's a great uplifting thing, but it should also be pretty funny because she's agreed. She's basically said she's going to say the word fuck a lot, which, you know, is pretty much all I need to hear to go to uh, a comedy show. So, uh,
1: you know, this used to be a family podcast. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, what I, I think is funny is like, so Trump is having this rally in, I think, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. <laughs> yes. And, and like, in lovely
0: Harrisburg. The, I've been there.
1: The, uh, the theory behind it i think for the trump team is that all the trump faithful will be like going to the the 24-hour news to watch his rally instead of going to c-span to watch the white house correspondence dinner and <laughs> and he's going to counter program against it and his ratings are going to be Bafo and he's going to show everyone and like i you know i i get why they're they think that but what i think is sort of interesting is like what i mean the, the audience for people who want to watch the White House Correspondents' Dinner as opposed to watch, like, the best parts of it the next day on, you know, BuzzFeed or Vulture uh, is is tiny. And, like, the audience for people who are going to spend a what, Saturday night, I guess, um, you know, what watching, like, a, a Trump rally is vanishingly small. So, like, even if it is a victory, it's going to be this sad little victory.
0: Yeah, I mean, the one thing is that it means a lot of the White House Correspondents will be in Harrisburg. So he's actually... Like, fucking them by not showing up for their dinner, which is a f- scholarship fundraiser, but then he's double fucking them for, by telling them they can't go to their dinner either, and they all have to go to Harrisburg for the day. Not that Harrisburg is a lovely place, shout out to the four people that I know in Harrisburg, but it, it's Yo. kind of like, you know, it's lesser than Albany. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you the truth right now. Like if you don't think Albany is like beautiful and scenic, don't go to Harrisburg. Listen, I'm not missing that much. I
1: just want to issue an apology to our large segment of our core audience in upstate New York, especially in Albany. Um, <laughs> this woman does not represent Whatever. I grew up in Scotia, values.
0: so SDHS represent.
1: <laughs> so do, do you think that like uh, some of these outlets, like, you know, CNN, the post, whatever are just going to send like the junior staffers out to Harrisburg? Like it doesn't, I mean, cause uh, you know, it's, part of the bonus of the uh, the dinner has always been kind of like, you get a day off because you know where the president's going to be and he's going to be doing the same mostly insipid thing that you're doing that doesn't really require any reporting. I mean, do you think that they're just going to maintain the tradition as kind of a passive fuck you? Like, you don't get Dave Weigel and Robert Costa from the, the post. You get, like, you know, some some you know junior intern from the style section who shows up?
0: I mean... The thing is, is is normally most of the table is actually filled with celebrities. You know, all of these news organizations like Invite, whomever, you know, ABC, CBS, you know, all of the the news, the news stations like that that have actually like shows on their entertainment side end up bringing all of their entertainment figures to the event. Yeah. So most of the time, even like anybody but the most senior of reporters isn't going to be at the table because their seats are going to be filled by some uh i don't know i would say a, i the mob wife are those still a thing i'm terrible with this reality tv stuff it's it's, um, it's
1: like bradley whitford i don't even know if he has a show but he just keep you know like he's just a mainstay now it's kind of like the the center square
0: i kind of think like can bradley whitford who just wasn't he like the creepy father in get out like can he really go like be a donald trump person like i mean i guess he could go in character right
1: yeah. I, oh, no, I didn't mean like for Trump's thing. I was just talking about like the White House Correspondents yeah. Dinner in general. Like he gets sort of an emeritus uh, dinner invite because he was Josh Lyman on West Wing. So it's like just show up, pick a chair, I we'll reshuffle.
0: So. Now, I, I, I think what's going to end up happening is all the senior reporters are going to it's a whole day of events in Harrisburg. It's like two factory tours, man. And then and then the rally besides it's it's the whole day. And it's, you know, it's not an insignificant drive to Harrisburg. It's a couple hours. And if there's traffic, it's a long time up the parkway. So, you know, it's they're all going to be gone. So I think it's going to be, you know, junior people and business side staff. And, you know, some organizations just gave money to the Correspondents Association and didn't even want the table. So probably what's going to happen is those empty seats are going to be bought by all the lobbyists that want access to whomever is actually there. All
1: right. So um, I like I I. Don't think we can exhaust uh, the, the White House Correspondent Center anymore. So we'll just take a, a quick one and, uh, and we'll be right back.
0: Welcome back. Everyone Jeb's in the cans so we can talk about what's really important, which is sex. Although technically what I want to talk about is birth control because for those who are not in the United States and don't know, the Affordable Care Act, which is to say Obamacare, made contraception one of the um, rights that you had access to as a woman. And so it had to be paid for and it was considered preventative care because it prevents things and thus was covered without copay. For many women, what this meant was that you had access to birth control for no copay, um, birth control pills, or implants like Norplant or Depropovera, which is shots, or IUDs, which are interuterine devices. As soon as Trump was elected, many of my friends and colleagues and people that I sort of know acquaintance-wise started to talk about getting intrauterine devices for the first time because they're extremely expensive, but they last for either one, three, five, or 10 years, depending on the device that you get. They're extremely effective, and at least until the Trump administration changed the law, they're free. They are also, notably, one of the reasons why some religious organizations are contesting the contraception mandate in court, Uh, and some of those cases are continuing. Hobby Lobby, in particular, was concerned about providing IUDs because under their leaders' religious beliefs, an IUD is actually a kind of abortion, which is medically not true, but God and science, you know, how that goes. Now the Trump administration has asked for delay in yet another case um, related to birth control access. Um, Responding to it in any way, shape or form, the intention seems to be to pass a regulation that will eliminate or significantly inhibit women's access to contraception. It's not that funny. I just got back. (laughs) What's going on? Sex.
1: (laughs) Right. Carry on. (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I, my I, my only my only thing i want to add to this is like i i remember you know i i think it was i mean maybe a week after the election when I, I started seeing almost every woman that i went to high school or college with uh so you know still in like pre-menopausal uh age start openly talking about like am i gonna go and just go get an iud because if this is not gonna anyone who wasn't like you know hadn't already kind of reckoned with a long-term birth control solution, like making their husband get a vasectomy uh, or not making, but you know, asking or figuring that this is like a way more reasonable way of doing things. Uh, but like just started doing that, that, that public on the Facebook wall kind of discussion of like, when am I going to go do this? How am I going to go do this? Because I I need, a, I need like a financial solution for the next 10 years if I can handle it, or at least five, like maybe it's a, he's a one-termer and we can go back to normal, but I got to get this while the getting's good.
0: Well, and the thing to think about too is, you know, if your insurance doesn't cover it, it could be 30 bucks a month. It could be a hundred bucks a month. You know, every birth control, every birth control pill is different. Some of them are generics and some are formulated so that they're actually brand name. Some of them work better and some of them don't. You know, when I was on birth control pills, for, I guess, eight years, I had to take seven different ones because they kept changing my body in different ways. One would give me panic attacks and one would give me migraines and the other gave me a yeast infection, which was really terrible. Um, And, you know, you you just had to keep changing until you found one that worked with your body chemistry and your cycle and all these things. But you know, once in a while I'd be paying $5 and then I'd be paying 30. And that was, you know, that's a lot. And you can't kind of go on and off of it. So it's not like I can go off of it and then go on a date tomorrow and be like, oh, like, maybe I'll have sex with that guy. I should start taking the birth control pill again. It's you have to basically take it consistently whether you're having sex or not. Whereas an IUD, you kind of get it installed, which is as fun as it sounds like. But then it's just there for as long as it needs to be there and is still valid. So, you know for a lot of women it is a preferred method um but it's also a little scary cuz you know in america it has actually one of the lowest acceptance rates of iuds among the oecd countries because there's just so little education about it but when you well, start to like, look into it you've, well, like
1: you well in like even even like those eight hundred dollars Yeah even those long-term solutions can can have those like just like the the pill those disaster not disastrous but like super inconvenient or painful consequences like i had, remember friends in college who'd get the depo shot and then they'd have their period for 3 months and yeah. then they would still just randomly get it and it would be more painful than it was when they were on the pill or when they were just using condoms with their partners or, you know, there's some the, the, the newer IUD, and the one that's not the, just the copper that actually has a hormone in it. Um, the yeah. Like one of the side effects of that is like for some women, they get, you know, just like really unpleasant discharge. And if you don't want to be saddled with that for five years and you want to swap it out, uh, for a different IUD, um, You know, that's like a massive investment. Like if you don't have insurance and you pick the wrong one, you know, that's like a five year sentence of like, well, I'm just going to be gross and unhappy with myself because I have no choice.
0: Or you could pay another $300 to go get it yanked out. I mean, and that's just get to get it yanked out if if nothing happens. I mean, some of the risks of them is they they can migrate, they can sort of find their way to places they're not supposed to be, and then that's surgery. Yeah, so that's labor on top of
1: parts. I mean, it's like going to the mechanic.
0: (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, it could be the sort of thing like to have an IUD put in without insurance could be $1,000, which... You know, if you are talking about a 10-year IUD and you're amortizing the cost of birth control over 10 years, like, that might work out in your favor. You know, I actually, when I got my first one when I was much younger, um, I had to pay completely out of pocket. And because... Even my own gynecologist wasn't that familiar with how the, how the new ones were functioning. I had to sign all of these legal forms where I promised not to sue her if I turned out infertile. And I was like, I don't, I'm much more concerned about fertility than I am infertility. Thank you. So, um, what,
1: I mean, what, how, how vague was the science that like your your uh, gynecologist is like, well, I don't know. I mean, there's a waiver here that says this one could turn you metal. Like,
0: <laughs> Well, because you could one become of the Iron Man. reasons why. Well, there was actually a, a, a kind of IUD in the late 70s and early 80s that was really dangerous for women because the, it was manufactured and installed incorrectly, essentially, and it caused many women to become infertile, to die, to have you know to get like rampaging internal infections. So that's one of the reasons why the acceptance rate here is much lower, is it was really only in the United States that this happened. And so a lot of older gynecologists sort of remember that and didn't know much about how the science and technology had progressed in the intervening 30 years. That's
1: a weird thing to do when it's your job, though. Like, I mean, like, I mean, you know, in I the 70s. I mean, in the know, 70- if that's
0: the worst thing a gynecologist does to you or tells you, like, you're you're lucky, man. Like, I mean, it's all, you know, it's all a crapshoot when you've got someone, like, peer, you know, I mean, basically you're up in the stirrups and someone's got their face in your snatch and, like, a bunch of lights. You know, you, you're just sort of at anybody's mercy at that point.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's like I'm, you know, in the 70s they added like a preservative to Schlitz and then another one to keep it from like going flat. And then they didn't test them together, so it turned Schlitz milky. And it went from being like the number 3 oh. beer in the United States to the number 20 beer in the United States and it never recovered and it just seems like being like like if you were a brewmaster and that happened, you're like, well, I don't know, I guess beer is bad for you, so I'm going to keep prescribing Bud and I'm never going to read about I don't know anything like Microbrews—they could kill you. <laughs> like just like it's your fucking job. Well, I like, mean, do the reading. Than, like
0: things like neuroscience. Like one of the most, one of the um, groups of doctors that's most sued by patients is actually obstetricians and gynecologists. So, part of the other fun aspect of the American medical system and American legal system is that doctors are sued all the time, whether or not they're actually committing malpractice or could have done anything differently. And so, at least, and I guess. Where I was living at the time in Virginia, like the lawsuits must have been so intense because I had one guy I call just stop practicing medicine entirely because the malpractice insurance got so high. So that's what happens when you move
1: to a place that's for lovers. I mean,
0: (laughs) I don't know how lovely it was, but yeah.
1: Uh, So anyway, so the the DOJ wants to to pull or sorry wants to maintain a a stay, right? So the the Obama administration countersued uh, like walk us through the, the, the court case and where it stands now
0: so there's a bunch of um, religious organizations don't want to have to cover birth control as part of the contraception mandate and want a really expanded what is sort of known as a provider conscious clause which basically says you have a religious objection to reproductive rights and so you get to do whatever the fuck you want Um, And the Obama administration was fighting them. The case, you know, essentially was wending its way through the courts. Um, And now the Trump administration has asked for a stay so that they have more time to consider. Um, But mostly at this stage of the case, the expectation among observers is that they're actually just going to issue an executive order or promulgate a new regulation that they expect will solve the the plaintiff's issues, um, but probably screw women.
1: Huh. So there's like no, there's no chance that they're just they don't want to fight this because they they don't want to open the door too much to religious ah they don't want to open the door too much to religious exemptions because I've I've been sort of wondering if at some point
0: no they I mean they're so with these provider conscious clauses that you know these are these are the same kind of laws that they're trying to use to allow you know bakers to refuse service to gay people um, and you know and to allow like. People, I guess to beat up transgender people trying to use the bathroom. I mean, whatever these these kinds of laws, you know, that are sort of um, which were promulgated a lot in the in the 90s and were very often thrown out by the Supreme Court because they were overly broad Um, there. They just kind of love these laws because they can say it's about preserving religion and whatever, when really it's about sort of mandating other people like your employees or gay people of no relation to you abide by your religious beliefs as opposed to freedom from
1: religion but yeah i remember the uh the the, the originating law for that was uh, it, it was about um a certain you know like american uh, native american tribes uh using peyote for their their ceremonies and and the religious exemption was to get round um uh sort of you know like uh, federal scheduling like narcotics scheduling and, and criminalization of, of peyote and then you know, everybody sort of thought like, "Well, it's very sensitive in Mr. Clinton, right?" It was it was Bill.
0: Yeah, it was Clinton. In
1: in like ninety three or ninety four, right? Yeah, and then of course that was like the wonderful Trojan horse for the religious right, because if you can exempt mm-hmm. it for Native Americans, then you know what about like traditional white folk ways, like not letting you have uh, uh, birth control,
0: <laughs> right? And that does seem like a traditional white folk way, doesn't it? Um, it yeah, does. I mean, I think, I, I, you know, all these laws have been, you know, and, and attempts at these kinds of laws broadly have been around for a long time. I mean, george it was one of the last things that actually George W. Bush rammed through was a provider conscience clause um, related to abortion and not birth control. But, you know, I mean, you have these all over the place. So if you get a Plan B prescription because you know, you made a mistake with your birth control regimen or something and you go to when you had to get get a prescription, went to Walmart, the cashier at Walmart could refuse to check you out. You know, pharmacists could refuse to give it to you because they had a religious exertion and they said they didn't think what you were doing is right. So you don't have access to something.
1: Well, I can't see why Walmart would steer you wrong.
0: (laughs) Yes, Walmart is everything that is good about America.
1: There's a 24-hour Walmart, maybe like three miles from my house. So I, I say we wrap this up and I'm going to go shop for a rifle.
0: <laughs> I mean, make sure you get bullets.
1: Ah, look, I mean, mainly it's the rifle. I just want to like, I want to strap that on and just wander around going like, I'm not intimidating you. It's free speech at like a Chipotle. I,
0: I think you need to come up with a new restaurant because you need to be more creative. I think you need to go someplace more like Chuck E. Cheese
1: ah, but like, if I go, if I go in there without a kid, it'll be creepy. I mean, if I go in there with a gun, that'll be normal.
0: <laughs> I mean, that does seem about right for some places in America.
1: It does. It does. All right. Seriously. like, I, I think we should go and, and like leave immediately and buy guns. Does that sound good?
0: Well, I'm in New York, so I'm just going to go buy like liquor and weed or something.
1: All right. That sounds like a plan. Thank you so much for being on Megan. And is there any place that people can, uh, can find you if you want to be found?
0: Uh, Megancarpentier.com
1: Right on. Okay, thank you so much.
0: Thanks.
1: All right. Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks, too, to Chris Collingwood of Fountains of Wayne for providing the music this week. Technically, he provided it for my other podcast, This Week in Atrocity, but I choose to beg for forgiveness rather than seek permission. You could also mollify and outrage Chris by going to Amazon.com and picking up a copy of his solo album, Look Park. Hopefully, Tim will return soon from his trip into the heart of darkness. In the meantime, you can catch his other podcast, The Worst Idea of All Time. Uh, You can also listen to mine, or you can hear me this week on The Daily Beast's conspiracy theory podcast, Truther. Talk to you soon.